Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. One of the things that, uh, that, that occurs almost on a nightly basis at my house is wrestle time with Lincoln. Now, for some of you, you don't know who Lincoln is, and that's okay. He's our little dog. Lincoln is an is a Aussie doodle, so he's part Australian shepherd, part poodle. And, uh, and so he's got a lot of energy, and, he's, and, he's, and, he, and he likes to play. And at night, his motor clicks on, and it's time to play. And on a nightly basis, uh, he, he's got this little squeaky bone that he brings in and drops it, and he's ready to go. He's like, it's squeaky bone time. And it's on, Dad. And he comes and he throws it at my feet, and it's time to play. And so I can throw that thing literally 30, 40 times down the, down the hallway or into the kitchen or wherever, and he's going to run and chase it down and slide and run into things and all that. But his favorite thing in all that is when he brings it back and he'll place it down, and he'll look at me, and then he puts his paw on it. Like, you ready? Are you going to get it? And if I go to grab it, he clamps down on it and he puts his face down on it and he's trying to prevent me from getting it but he really wants me to get it right that's wrestle time that's when i grab the grab the boat and i push his head down and hold it and pin it to the ground and he's struggling and he claws me and he bites and and furs flying not really but it's just a, it's chaos and i'll get down on the floor with him and he's jumping on me and and there's scratching and clawing and biting and that's just what i do to him right but dogs are hardwired to play like that I don't know if you knew that I mean it's a pack mentality and if you've ever watched dogs play sometimes it gets a little hairy right I mean literally I guess but it gets kind of crazy they start biting each other's necks and pinning each other and and it looks really rough but that's how they bond it's in that ferocious battle that they bond. Today we're going to look at a very enigmatic part of scripture. It's, it's, it is a strange, really bizarre, which by the way is one of my favorite words right now, bizarre. Just try it out. It's a great word. Use it often. Bizarre? I don't know. It's a great word. So <laughs> my family makes fun of me saying bizarre quite often. It is a really bizarre, strange story that we're going to look at today. You've heard of it before. It's when Jacob, Jacob wrestles an angel, but it's not really an angel. It's a man and an angel, but it's really God. I don't know. It's weird. You know what the story I'm talking about? If not, let's jump into Genesis real quick, and we're going to read this story, and then we're going to kind of pick some truths out for it and see how it applies to our lives. Now, here's the thing. To get to this place, you have to understand a little bit of background on Jacob. Does anybody know who Jacob's father was? Say it out loud. Abraham? Isaac. Very good. And Isaac had two boys. What were their names? Jacob and Esau. Very good. So you have Abraham, who has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau as sons. Now, who was the older of the two, Esau or Jacob? Jacob or Esau? Esau was the older, right? 
Esau was the older, which means he deserved all the inheritance and all the blessing from his father. But that's not what happened. It's not what happened. Does anybody remember what did happen? Yes, he tricked his father with the help of his mom. Isaac was, was failing in health and failing in sight. And with a trick and the help from his mom, Jacob goes in and steals Esau's blessing from his father. We don't have time to go into the details of that. Does anybody know what the word Esau means? The name. It means red and hairy or red hairy or it could mean red thick soup. There's all sorts of things that it could use. Yeah, hairy and soup don't go together, does it? Like, ugh. So he sold his birthright to his brother for soup because he was hungry. Remember that story? And then after that, Isaac goes in and steals, I'm sorry, Jacob goes in and steals not only the birthright, but the blessing and the birthright from his brother Esau. Long story, you can go and read the background of it. Here's the thing, does anybody know what Jacob means? And if you've got a friend named Jacob, you can pull this out on him. Does anybody know what Jacob means? To be behind or to follow, that's, you're looking at a subnote. That's the kind way. That's the kind translation. What? Okay, <laughs> all right. It means supplanter or crooked. Like, so this, this is someone who sneaks up behind you and is a supplanter. So I picture, I picture someone sneaking up behind you to steal your purse, right? That's kind of what Jacob means. So if you got a friend named Jacob, you can say, what up, supplanter? And they won't know what you're talking about, but that's what it means. Someone who comes in to take your place, to steal from you, and to take what's rightfully yours. He's a supplanter. So his name is Jacob. So imagine going around and everyone calls you, what's up, traitor? How's it going? I mean, what if that was your name? That would be pretty bad, but that's what Jacob meant, and that's what his name was. And so Jacob has this history of supplanting, of stealing, of being a shyster. He has a history of it. In fact, when he came out of the womb, when Esau came out of the womb, Jacob had his brother's foot. They were twins. Right? Y'all remember this story? So, had his heel, like was grabbing onto his heel, like, uh-uh, you're not going out before me. So Jacob for all of his life, has been known as this shyster, this supplanter, this guy who kind of deceives. Then, because he's deceived his brother, he gets afraid and scared, and Esau says, I'm going to kill you. And Esau was the bigger guy, and so he was a little bit scared of the older brother, so he runs off. And he goes, and he finds a girl that he wants to marry. What happens there? The father-in-law, would-be father-in-law, tricks him, into marrying the other sister because she's veiled. So he marries someone he thinks is one girl and it ends up being someone else. So he marries her and then they have, you know, relations. Relations is a beautiful thing. They have relations. Sorry, that's a quote from a movie. I have to say it. <laughs> um, and so they wake up the morning after their first night together in the marriage bed, and he's like, oh, you're not who I thought you were. I'm, I, guys, you know what this is? 
bizarre. This guy's story is bizarre. So he, he marries someone, consummates the relationship with this lady overnight, and then in the morning realizes, oh, wait, this isn't who I thought it was. So the girl behind the bell wasn't the girl I thought I was marrying. That's pretty crazy stuff. So he was a deceiver, and he's been deceived. He goes on to get the other girl, too, and he has two wives. And there's really more to the story, a lot more to the story than that. I'm giving you this background to let you know Jacob is sketchy. Jacob is the king of sketchy, and he has a sketchy history. Not only with how he treated his brother and his father and his family, not only how he gained his wealth, but he also was sketchy in the way he dealt with a father-in-law and two wives. And so he has this really strange history. At one point, after he leaves his father-in-law, because he has to leave, because he's having some arguments with his brother-in-laws and it gets nasty and he's got to leave, all right? I'm telling you, this sounds like a soap opera, but this is what's going on in Genesis, all up to this point. So he's leaving, and before he leaves, God shows up to him and says, go back to your homeland, and I'll be with you. Now, what's the problem with that? Who lives in his homeland? Esau, the one he betrayed, the one who said, if I see you again, or when I see you again, I am going to kill you. So Jacob now has been betrayed and betrayed people. He has deceived and been deceived. And now he is a man without a place. But God tells him, go back to your hometown. Go back to where you're from. Go back to the land. And I'll be with you. And that's where we pick up the story. Jacob has begun this journey back, and he's sending all of his people before him. So there, there's a buffer of gifts and servants and animals and then family members. And then he's at the back of this kind of entourage, and he's sending them in waves so that, he, so that Esau has this buffer between him and Jacob. So it's at night in verse 22 of Genesis 32. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 3222, or you can follow on the screen or on a smart device. The same night he arose and took two, his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, yes, you heard that right, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled, and a man, wait, what? Yeah, a man shows up, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Okay, that's random. I mean, if you're my age and you grew up with WWE, when you think wrestle, like I'm picturing, you know, like, much win savage kind of guy out there. Yeah, if you had, don't know who that is, Google slip into a Slim Jim. That's all I'm saying. So he's there. He sends everybody across. He's at Jabbok. It's at the breaking of day in a manner. It's kind of, kind of pre-dawn hours. It's that time if you're a hunter when you're wanting to be in your stand. Okay? Is that fair enough? All right. So it's that time of day. 
and a man shows up and they start to wrestle. Now, a couple of things you need to understand about the setting here that's super important. One is the Jabbok. It's a river that's 50 miles long that's north of the Sea of Galilee. It flows into the Jordan. It comes from the north and the mountains north of Galilee and flows into the Jordan. It's not very big, but the elevation loss is huge. It flows downhill quickly in that 50 miles. It goes from super high to below sea level, by the way. The Jordan at that point where it comes in is like 100 feet below sea level. So it's this huge descent. It, so it carved a deep, deep canyon into the, into the topography of that area. It is a deep, narrow canyon. So imagine night in a deep canyon with the small river. And that's where he was. Now, what's also interesting about this place is that it's both holy land and not holy land. It's right in between. It's like the boundary marker almost of the holy land and the, that's not the holy land part. So it's this transition piece. It's this deep gorge where there's a river, and on one side, it's not holy land. On the other side, it's holy land, and it kind of in the middle, it's just kind of a mix of both. And he meets him in the time of day, whether it's ne neither dark nor light. And he wrestles a man. Now, that's important to understand because it says a lot about not only the place and the setting, but about the man involved. We'll come back to that. Keep that in mind. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So this wrestling is going on, and it's back and forth, and it's, I don't know, we don't know how long it, it actually happens is it an hour is it how long is a grappling session christian when you go and you grapple five or six minutes we get the feeling that it's longer than that you know you get the feeling that this grappling goes on just kind of at length here and neither is prevailing this weird man that just shows up in the middle of a gorge at night bizarre and he starts to wrestle, and neither one of them prevail. And so at the end of it, he says, all right, I'm done. Touches his hip. Now that's pretty cool. I would like that trick, right? The, the, the closest thing I ever came to that was when I played basketball. And this is dirty, and I admit it. I, I was not always a great, you know, I was not always a really nice player of, of the basketball. What I would do if I was down on the block and there was a guy front guarding me, so he was trying to front me, <clears throat> I would dead leg him in the knee right there. You know, I'd come up behind him with my knee and dead leg him once, and as he's going down, I'm stepping here for the ball, right? It's kind of dirty, but I would do it. The other thing I would also do is I would sweep the leg. Not like Cobra Kai sweep the leg, for those of you who are wondering. 
But I would sweep the leg by just taking my foot, my, if I was on the left block and I had my right foot on the inside of the guy's left foot, I would sweep his foot like this and he'd go, and then I've got to step on him, right? So it's kind of dirty. Well, that's kind of the picture I get here. They're wrestling and the guy goes, okay, I'm done and touches him. But this being is powerful enough that at the very touch at the hip, the hip dislocates. And this is our first clue that this isn't just a man. He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. But here's what's amazing. As he wrestled with him, he didn't stop wrestling with the guy. Jacob was tenacious. Jacob said, okay, you might have won, but I'm not letting go. Now, when my kids were little, we used to wrestle, and they would double-team me, right? And they would jump on me, and they would, they would try to push me over, and, and we would wrestle on the floor. <clears throat> and, and there came a point to where I was done, and I would get up, and what would they do? Cling to your legs, right? And you're like this, walking with kids on both legs, like, okay, guys, it's over. It's time to let go now. Well, that's kind of the picture I get here. Jacob is beat, but he doesn't give up. He's hanging on and he's clinging to him. Then he said, let me go. Kind of like a father with kids on his legs. Let me go. For the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is our second clue that this is more than just a man. I'm not going until you bless me. Now, isn't it interesting that Jacob started all of his shadiness with a blessing? And now he's asking for a blessing from this man. Let me go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him... What is your name? Now, doesn't that almost sound like Jesus to you? <laughs> that you ask a question or you ask something and he throws a, a deep kind of needling you response. So Jacob says, bless me. I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. And this man says, what is your name? It's like, whoa, where did that come from? But why would he ask him, what is your name? Any takers? Why would he ask him, what is your name? Because names meant things. He wanted Jacob to admit what he was. You are Jacob, the shyster, the supplanter, the one who grabs people's heels and trips them up, the one who deadlegs people and sweeps feet. You're that guy, Jacob. He wants him to own who he is. He wants him to be real with who he is. He wants him to confess that he is shyster. He is shady. He is sketchy. There's a second reason why I think he wants him to say his name. And it goes back to his history. What might that be? How did he get the blessing from his father? What did he, who did he pretend to be? His brother, Esau. 
So to get the first blessing that he got, he lied about who he was. And so now this man says, okay, what is your name? Well, it's, it's, I'm shady. My name is Shyster. That's me. I'm a supplanter. I'm the guy who's going to come up behind you and do something you don't want me to do to you. That's me. And he wants him to own that, but it's also a reminder, but you lied to your father about who you were. You lied to your father and told him you were Esau. You lied to your father to get a blessing. I want you to own who you are and admit what you've done. Who you are and what you've done. I want to own who you are and what you've done. We live in a culture that is unashamed sometimes, but we also live in a culture that will not, that will refuse to admit when they're wrong. Oh my gosh, look at a politician. And I don't care what, who you vote for, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, is there not a more shady group of people than politicians who will tell you one thing and do something else? Is there not a more shady group of people? <laughs> okay, yeah, that was hypothetical, but yeah. My, my, point, my point being is that we live in a culture where we have talking heads and they will refuse to admit when they're wrong. They are right and always right. And that's kind of the attitude that Jacob has had to this point. Jacob has had this politician attitude that I'm above the fray, that I'm always going to win, that I'm going to put on the smiley face, that while I'm smiling at you here, I'm stabbing you in the back. And so Jacob is that kind of person. And God confronts him in this wrestling match and he says, who are you? Own it. Own who you are and what you've done. And I think God says the same things to us, despite what our culture does and says. What is your name? And he answered truthfully, Jacob. Then he, he this man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob has never lost anything. In every situation of his life, even if it meant he had to be a shyster, he came out on top. Every time. And in this wrestling match with this man, the man doesn't prevail and Jacob doesn't prevail. It's a, it's a dead Heat. It's a, it's a match, strength for strength, until the man touches him. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So reading that, what do you think the word Israel means? What have you been told Israel means? Crickets. According to this, what does it sound like Israel means? Your name will be Israel for striven with God. 
And for years I heard that Israel meant wrestles with God or strives with God. Because of this verse, the truth is we don't really know the beginnings of the word that are the first part of this name. It could come from a couple of different sources. We do know that the L here means God. E-L always means God. So if you see E-L in anything, any name in the Old Testament, it means God. What we're not real sure of is the first part of the name. But when there's a name that has God in it, God is never the object, but always the subject. So it wouldn't be wrestles with God, one who wrestles with God. It would never be that. That's why that is a bad translation. In fact, the translation is probably God wrestles you. God strives with you. But taking this pericope, this story, and taking everything we know about the translation, what it really probably means is God conquers, rules you. Or perhaps the only other thing it can mean is let God rule. God is the one who does the striving and the ruling. God is the one who pins us and touches us. God is the one who, no matter what we think we have strength-wise, is the one that can conquer us every time. God is the one who always wins, but... We're invited to let him not only win, but to rule our life, to conquer our life. The reason why Jacob's name goes from Jacob to Israel, he's saying, Jacob, you were a supplanter and a shyster and a schemer and a cheat, but I am changing you to someone who has now wrestled with God and God has won. God now rules you. You understand that. You're going to leave this place with a new name and a limp. The new name is to remind you who I'm calling you to be. And the limp is to remind you I always win. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Then Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And he blessed him. Jacob knew the answer there. Jacob knew he, he was wrestling. And remember, we are at neither day or night. It's the in-between. We are neither in the holy land or the unholy part of the land. We are in-between. Jacob has had this history of getting blessings from God, but also protection from God, but also being a shyster. He's lived in the in-between. His whole life has been in the in-between. He is neither good nor bad. He has evil running through him, and he's got this blessing from God running through him. And it's this weird coagulation of the two, and it's mixed up in his life. And God is saying, no longer is there a mix here. You are going from unholy to the holy side of the land. You are going from 
Jacob, the shyster, to Israel, ruled by God. I am calling you to step into a change, and I am touching you as a reminder of this event so that you will never forget who rules you, who's really in control. And so he says, but tell me your name. And he's like, why do you ask me your name? You know what my name is. You don't have to know my name. And he can't really see his face yet because if he saw the face of God, he would die. And he knows that. So he says, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face to face with God. Or the face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Puniel, limping because of his hip. Jacob leaves a new man. This encounter with God, he comes out. Different. The change is he goes from being uh, someone who is constantly looking for his well-being, who is living life out of selfishness, whose all of his world revolves around him. He always won. He always got his way. And in one night, he goes from that guy who always wins, no matter what the cost is, no matter what he has to do to someone else, to the person who is submitted and broken by God, to the person who has wrestled in a relationship and tussled and bit and spit and all of that stuff. This is not COVID okay. Like, this is sloppy. And I think it's a perfect picture of how God takes us in our broken, selfish state and he works us over and he touches us and he says, no, I want you to be someone different. I've got something more for you. Quit living the in-between. I've got something more for you. Let me rule. You quit ruling and let me rule. You quit being the one who gets your way and let me get my way with your life. You quit being the one who always take advantage of others and instead let me use you to my advantage for my glory, not yours. And so as he left that valley into the Holy Land limping, he was a new man with a new name and a new limp as a reminder God is greater. Now, how do I know that his life changed? Here's something very interesting. Up to this point in the story of Jacob, when he talks about God, he says the God of Abraham and Isaac. In the next chapter, he says, my God. And it goes from the God of Abraham and Isaac to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Or Jacob. You see, something happens if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and wrestle with God. There is something that happens in those dark valleys that we go through when we are open and and where we engage God in a deep, meaningful way, 
he does things and he might break us, but he touches us and he gives us a new direction. Guys, we are Jacob. We live in this mix of good and bad in our lives. We live in a world that, where it says it's okay to get ahead and be selfish and, and grab what you can while you can. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. You know, you're the king of your life. Oh, captain, my captain. It's all of that stuff. Like, I am the ruler. I am the one in charge. And I will lie and cheat to stay there. And I will refuse to admit that I'm wrong. And what God does to us is what he does to Jacob. He says, just own it. Own who you are. Own what you've done. Just admit it to me. And this is part of our wrestling with God. Guys, our relationship with God should look like a wrestling match. God, I've blown it. I'm, I'm, but I'm mad at you. I, I hate this situation. Why are you putting me through this? All of that is okay. It is a wrestling match. That is what a real relationship looks like with God. And when we come bare-knuckled and honest and, and brutally honest and willing to hash it out and work it out and, and tear it out, God touches us and changes us and gives us a new direction and a new purpose and a new name. He takes us from the unholy to the holy. From the shyster who rules himself to the servant who is ruled by God. He takes us from dark to light. But do you wrestle? And that's the real question. A lot of us go through our life treating God as someone that we can worship from afar, that we can keep at a distance, that we can keep six feet and a mask away from us. But instead, he's a God inviting us to a wrestlement. Dogs get it. Every night, Lincoln, he wants to wrestle with Dad. There's something about the clawing and the striving and the biting and the slobbering. And again, that's just what I do. There's something about that that makes connection. And that's what God's inviting you to. When I would do those wrestling matches with my kids, there came a point where I was done and I would pin them. I would sit on top of them. <laughs> I, would, I would have them, my knees down over them, and I would pin their arms and I would say, I win. It's an uncomfortable position to be in if you're the one underneath. If you're the one being pinned. But it's also the greatest place of love and comfort. Total surrender to the God of I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you. But I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it. Put it into action. Until next week, have a great week.